I just read that GTK apps, like the next version of GTK, you know, the the toolkit that that uh, a lot of Linux desktop apps are built on, and the the whole GNOME desktop is built on. Um, it can render itself to a WebKit browser. It seems like an incredibly bad idea to try to yeah, I know, right? Move a GUI app inside a web page, so I'm all for it. I like and yeah, we kept, <laughs> and yeah, we keep doing it. I know. <laughs> and welcome to episode 22 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we have on our panel, Avdi Grimm. Self.extend coffee. <laughs> we also have James Edward Gray. Ew, coffee. <laughs> and we, uh, we have Josh Susser. Uh, let's see, so I'm in San Francisco, so I, sh- I should be drinking mate. And I'm Charles Maxwood. The only coffee I use is CoffeeScript, because I'm in Utah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to be talking this week on when to use modules. And I understand that Ryan Bates was involved in suggesting this topic. And James has a little more information on that, so I'll let him explain. Okay. So uh, the conversation that we decided to talk about this week is basically, are modules overused? And it kind of came out of little bit of a Twitter discussion that Ryan Bates started uh, about how Rails, when it, you know, takes a class and then breaks it out into 50 different modules, you know, uh, for example, Active Record Base includes modules for uh, things like validation and um, associations and stuff like that. When it breaks it all out like that, well, then you have, you know, 50 files you have to go through instead of the one uh, to figure out where things are and, and, um, so uh, they, he also discussed it a little bit with um, Steve Klobnik, and they kind of had a back and forth of uh, a refactoring example that Steve showed. So um, the, we'll, we'll put all these links in the show notes if you want to read up. Um, but it basically kind of talking about, well, should this be broken out into a module? Should it be of a class? Things like that. So uh, today we're basically talking about when should we use modules? So who has opinions about that? Well, one, one place that I use modules, and it's, it's related to an example that we used when we were talking about exceptional Ruby, is uh, just, just to kind of contain something or, or namespace it so that I don't have to worry about collisions. But I don't think that's exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's kind of a good point, probably, that there are uses of modules that uh, probably don't really fall under... Um, this particular discussion that we're having. Uh, what you just said is a great one, like Avdi's example from um, Exceptional Ruby, where he's tagging exceptions, and he's really just doing that to uh, put a label on them or create a type out of them. So I don't think that is the particular complaint that's being raised here. Um, you know, and if we use modules as mix-ins, uh, obviously that's pretty much a requirement since, you know, that's the only way to get a mix-in and uh, sometimes they get used to kind of cheat single inheritance, you know, kind of make a multiple inheritance thing. Those those kind of things probably aren't uh, really what we're talking about here. We're talking about more when people choose to break things out into modules. When is that a good idea? When is that not a good idea? Uh, that kind of thing. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, modules are are characteristic. 
carry an enormous amount of weight in Ruby, um, and they serve a lot of different roles. So you kind of have to, I mean, yeah, you have to be pretty specific about what, what we're talking about because they do a lot of different things. That's kind of a good point. They are kind of really overloaded in Ruby. Like, um, you know, you have uh, uh, they're, they're kind of a namespace, right, for methods and constants. Um, you know, the mix-in uh, thing that we've already talked about. And then, uh, you know, in, Rails does kind of use them as a code organization thing, I would say, in some ways. Um, so, yeah, they're serving a lot of different roles there. So one one thing that uh, that comes to mind here, too, is that, I mean, well, I guess what we're really talking is about is what are the trade-offs? I mean, what are the trade-offs between breaking something out into its own module versus, um, you know, just keeping everything in the class? And and I think one one example of this is when you want uh, you want code to be dry. So if there's something that I'm going to be using across multiple models in Rails or across multiple classes in my Ruby program, then I definitely want to be breaking it out. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting because um, when Ryan Bates first brought up this discussion, uh, I actually found myself agreeing with him. And I was saying, yeah, it really bothers me that there's, you know, things in... 10 different files and I have to go look through uh, the 10 different files to find the method that I'm, I'm interested in right now, you know, um, just to give one example, like, so if, if you look for, you know, if you have a model to find an active record and you look for the dot create method, um, you know, that, that models have on the class level to create an instance of that object, that's an active record base, I believe. But uh, if you look for create bang, that's in the uh, validations module that gets mixed into um, active record base, I think. So, so, you know, these two methods that are basically, that are really similar to each other and what they do, uh, you know, are, are in two different places. So depending on which one you're looking for is uh, what you have to do there. And that's kind of confusing. I'm actually completely okay with that. Oh yeah. Why do you say that? Um, well, I mean, if if it's so, I mean, uh, with the like the active model stuff, the active record and active model stuff, um, a lot of that stuff has been factored so that you can selectively include bits of it, and uh, and as such, I think uh, it makes a ton of sense uh, as separate modules because it enables you to do it, enables you to you know pick and choose which bits that you want to include in your class, um, and also uh, some of it you know. Some of it's just kind of all about uh, sort of modules overloading other modules, you know, and, and uh, you know, having a chain of methods where they can call super and, and, uh, and rely on the subclass or not the subclass, but the sort of the preceding module functionality. So um, I think it kind of makes sense for that, uh, so, for that use case. So, I, yes, and, uh, you know, I, theoretically, I, I agree with that statement that, I think what I've seen in in the Rails code, at least, is that the organization of code into modules seems like some of it was uh, some of the modules were extracted from pre- previously existing class functionality, and others were uh, probably thought up by somebody as a good idea as a way to organize the code, and and sometimes you can really tell which which is which because there's more friction involved with trying to 
trying to work with those modules. Yeah, because so, yeah, I, I think that that if you are if you're using modules to um to just break up like oh this this class is too long and so I'm going to find some related methods and pull them out of module because the class is too long. Uh, that's just sweeping your toys under the bed. That doesn't actually accomplish anything. Now you have two problems. Yeah, but that, that's always how I clean my room. <laughs> and you didn't even have to use regular expressions. That's hey, right. Hey, hey, I'm a regex <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, regex for these toys. Sweep those. Okay, so I actually want to go back to what Opti said because uh, what I was saying was I, I actually agreed with Ryan Bates when he first brought it up. But uh, somebody has me reading this cool book called Small Talk Best Practice Patterns. And uh, it's actually changing the way I think about a lot of this stuff. And as I was reading it, I was thinking about this problem we're discussing today. And um, it, it kind of changed my mind. And I actually went back just yesterday and kind of reread a large portion of Rails' uh, current active model stuff. And uh, like Avdi, I, I now like it, uh, the way it's divided out. Um, but for different reasons. And one of the things Avdi mentioned that he liked, I don't like. So uh, what I do like is that uh, small talk best practice patterns, here's kind of a spoiler for uh, the upcoming episode, but um, it really talks about code's primary purpose being the conversation that it has with a reader, which I really love. And that uh, and that basically a lot of sacrifices are made to... Uh, to make the code read correctly and make it easy to walk through and understand. And one of, uh, to one of those ends, uh, that he talks about putting methods in a place where we can look at related methods together. Um, and the, that's really important, you know, I mean, we all understand probably SRP, single responsibility principle, where each thing should only be doing one thing, and that's part of that, right? So that we want to see all that related functionality together. Um, but I was thinking about it, and and basically that example I gave earlier is kind of a little bit of a red herring. The whole, uh, you know, create being the same as create bang. Well, they're actually not, because create bang involves validations, whereas create does not. Um, so... Uh, the, those, that's why those methods are different and, and the validation version is in the validations module. So that's the part I do like is that the related methods are grouped together in a module. But then what Opti talked about being a strength, uh, being able to use super for overrides and stuff, I, I recognize all that, but I think that actually turns out to be the problem because you read something like active record base and you see a save method, and you think, oh, this is save. Well, actually, that's not the save that usually gets called when you call that save, because the one that usually gets called is the overridden version from active record validations, right? So it's hard to know which method holds sway at any given time. The, so, so some of that, I think, is a peculiarity of how Rails manages its code. Uh, there, there's a fair amount of complexity in dealing with a framework that large. And one of the ways Rails does that is, um, is how it loads code and, and uh, breaks it up into pieces. There's this uh, concept called a, a concern in active support that is a 
somewhat higher level abstraction that sits on top of modules that uh, lets them do the, the loading of things uh, in a somewhat more intelligent way. It, so you don't have, the upshot of that is that you don't have explicit includes in, in files like active record base. Um, you know, there, there's some you know, higher level uh, meta programmed up machinery that mixes on, in the modules all in the right way. So it makes it harder to see what's going on unless you know, in the, right pla- to know the right place to look. Um, I, I think that, uh, th- that you know, this is where you start to see not having an IDE uh, for a language impact your development process. <laughs> The, uh, it, but I, I think that some of the things like um, you know Pry and some of the other uh, stuff that you can do in the console uh, to examine uh, what are all the methods that you have on your class uh, at runtime, you can just drop into the, into a console or, or Pry um, and start poking around and seeing what methods are where and where they're implemented. Uh, that can be really helpful in understanding that kind of program structure. Yeah, and you can definitely pull some of the other information just off of the class itself. I mean, there are reflection methods that you can use, like dot .ancestors and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you don't have a convenient way to say this version of save is, is implemented in Active Record Base or in the validations mix-in or something else, you can at least look at the ancestors, see what the, uh, you know, where it's looking first and where it's looking next, and then you can kind of move your way up and look through the code that way. I feel like there was a, com- a command or a tool I saw somewhere once, like a plugin for IRB, um, that would actually let you say what if I call this, if I call save right here on this object, what uh, what method is that actually going to be calling? Uh, I'm gonna have to to look that up because that would be I think that would maybe helps um, alleviate this problem. Yeah, that one should be pretty possible. I mean, it should be pretty possible to find something like that because you could walk up the ancestor tree the only gotcha there is if it gets to method missing then it's going to have to throw up its hands because it's not going to be sure which one you know mm-hmm. answer. yeah i actually just saw something uh like that released uh last week by let's see ryan lecomte it's called method locator and it does just that so i haven't had a chance to play around with it but um, it's not the first thing i've seen that does that kind of thing but uh it's certainly the most recent yeah <laughs> So I, I have a question that's sort of related to this. Um, it seems like, uh, and, and we're talking about Rails, and, and that's an example that we can use. Um, what What's the difference between having it, say, inherit from Active Record Base versus having some mix-in module that gives it the same functionality? Or is there really a difference? So that's a good question. You mean why doesn't... Uh... And, and I believe there are actually ORMs that uh, that work just by uh, mixing something in. I think there's one for uh, MongoDB, if my memory serves. <clears throat> data Mapper. Yeah, I think Data I think, Mapper. That's right. Yeah. Why didn't I think of Data Mapper? Right. So, what's the trade-off between doing it, say, the Data Mapper way versus the Active Record way, or is there? There isn't. Data Mapper's right. Oh well, jeez. <laughs> Glad we got that cleared up. Job done. See you guys next week. Okay. <laughs> that's absolutely. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I literally have never seen any anything, any reason um, to to uh, to prefer the uh, the inheritance version, and and because and since the module module version is by definition more flexible, you're not saying I'm going to be your one and only parent. You can't define a parent of your own. Um, 
I would prefer the module module inclusion version. Okay, but my my guess, my question is is um, is is there functionally any difference? I mean, is is doing inheritance does it do more than just add it to the list of ancestors? So that to answer your question uh, directly, I not the way we typically use modules. Like it usually, I mean, if if you were saying all all you were doing is subclassing or inherit or including a module the way Ruby defines including a module, uh, then yes, there is a difference. If you inherited, uh, you gain the whole class structure. So the class is a parent of your class, which basically means class methods will also inherit as opposed to just the instance methods is what you get out of the box with Ruby. However, Ruby has hit that so much that we almost always uh, override include, uh, included, and then use a hack in there to mix in another module into the class, which gives you the class level inheritance, the methods and stuff. So in that case, uh, you know, I, I don't really think there's very much of a difference. And like Abdi says, you only get one parent. Right. So if you take the parent, that's a big deal. You know, that mm-hmm. you, you can only have one of those. So, uh, you know, the module uh, does tend to be more flexible. And I, I like the idea of persistence being in a module. You know, that, that, that seems to feel right to me. Like this thing is whatever it is. It just happens to also be persistible because I throw this uh, persistence module in there. Okay. Quick note: um, the uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Avery T. Howard has a uh, has a gem called Using, uh, which if you don't like the if you don't like the mucking about with with like having a module that then has a class methods module which it which it it extends um, it extends on on inclusion, you can uh, Using will let you basically just define uh, define a module as if. Uh, just you know, define your class methods and your instance methods the normal way, the way you would in a class definition, and then you say using that module, and um, and it'll just bring them all in. Uh, it, it just it just works. It does the right thing. It does what you expect. That's very similar to Active Support Concern, which does okay. a lot of the same stuff. Right. That's how no Rails accomplishes that trick, basically. So so uh, so I actually I want to take that opportunity to speak to a point of. Of, you know, we're talking about how to use modules, maybe, or maybe we're talking about when to use modules. But the <clears throat> that pattern of having a having a module that you care about both the instance methods and the class methods. Uh, there's there were some early gems or or plugins that uh, use modules in a particular way and. <clears throat> the the author of one of these things decided, oh well, I, I have this. I'm gonna. It, it, okay, so as James said, there's in the included method of a module, you can do stuff like uh, you know base extend class methods. That's something that you see very common to get the mm-hmm. class methods mixed into the class. Um, but somebody decided it'd be a good idea to have another module within the the main module called instance methods and. It, on including the main module, you include the instance methods module, and I think somebody probably thought they were doing something clever by organizing their methods within the module better, but it just leads to module soup when you do things like that. So, so I've seen a fair amount of, uh, the, the, I guess the term is cargo culting, around that pattern, 
and uh, I, I don't see that there's any use at all in having this instance methods module within your main module that you include as part of including the main module. It's just um, seems seems rather nutty to me. So I wanted to to uh, just advise people to understand what you're doing, uh, not necessarily just uh, copy pasting this stuff. Right, and as Avdi, you know, took his stance on the module versus inheritance, I'm just going to go ahead and say the guy that did the instance message module uh, thing was wrong. I'll I'll back you up on that. Yeah, he he was (laughs) definitely wrong. Actually, if you look at uh, Rails code base, um, uh, I believe, uh, you know, in the 2 series, they still had that. And then in the 3 series, I believe they went through and removed all that. Yehuda just went through and took an axe to that. Yeah. I, I just want to uh, make a quick statement here um, because um, just uh, sort of a community-oriented statement. Uh, when I say that you know such and such is wrong, um, you know I, what I'm not saying is that the person that implemented that, you know, the person that implemented Active Record Base as as a uh, as a base class or whatever, uh, was an idiot. I'm not saying that they're sort of maliciously um, stupid or or anything like that. Uh, I you know I, I think uh, my operating assumption is that everybody is is doing the best they can with the resources at their disposal and with the knowledge at their disposal. Um, and uh, and I just I just want to put that in there because you know. Uh, I do make strong statements like that sometimes, and and sometimes it can be misconstrued as as sort of combative. And I, I really have the the utmost respect for for uh, for anyone who has has put their code out there uh, in the uh, the open source space for other people to use. I think I think we all kind of feel that way. Where basically the idea is is you know it wrong means in my experience it usually doesn't work out as well as something else. But. That having been said, if you've heard Avdi say it's wrong and you do it, he will come to your house and take your keyboard away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to lock mine up. (laughs) No, no, I I think Avdi's points are good on this. Well said, Avdi. There's a difference between uh, criticizing uh, some code someone's written and criticizing the person. Yeah. So is it possible we could come up with a set of rules of when it is a good idea to use modules? Is that possible? Whatever you want. Tuesdays. Today's Tuesday. So, so um, James, that's, I think that's a good goal. I, um, can, we, can we take a slight side trip into the conversation of when is it a good idea to use inheritance? Yeah, good. that's a that's a great question. And actually, uh, you led to something... I wanted to mention on this episode, um, I want a Ruby best practice patterns. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, reading small talk best practice patterns, I read it and I think, wow, this is great and I'm really enjoying this. But in other ways, it solves some problems and I think, oh, you're just wanting Ruby so bad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like when he solves the, um, uh, just to give one example, he solves the problem of giving an accessor that exposes a collection. And he says, you you know, you don't want to give them the whole collection because then they'll start adding and removing and all kinds of stuff like that. So one thing you can do is just give them an iterator. And he goes through and builds the one iterator method just to give them each, basically. You know, and it's I'm thinking, or in Ruby 1.9, you could do dot to enum and they have access to every single iterator in a read-only fashion, you know. 
So uh, I, I really think that a lot of these patterns can be re-envisioned in Ruby and, uh, and, and get better. And that's one thing Ruby doesn't have. Like Ruby's modules are pretty different from a lot of other languages. I realize some have something close to them, but uh, I really think that there are patterns around modules and when to use them and stuff and, and that it would be great to know those. Well, maybe it's time for the rogues to write a book. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, so okay. So, so, um, so back to the question of when should you use inheritance, and the the um, canonical uh, alternative to inheritance is composition. So, I so I I see. Um, the, I've seen some cases where people have been mixing in modules and and doing multiple inheritance type things, where uh, where composition would work just as well. You could, you know, you know, add, you know, just have a, you know, add, add an add an object to some instance variable of your class, and then delegate some behavior to it. Right, and Ruby makes delegation so easy. You know, at the method missing, you can just catch things and pass them on. But you know, that's all even wrapped up in the delegation and forwardable libraries and the standard libraries. So that kind of thing is really easy to do. And, and you're right that, you know, inheritance is uh, one of those things. I think when object orientation was first getting big, it was like, Oh, inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. And then the farther we went, you know, we learned, yeah, that's not the great idea, you know, and, and we, we try to avoid it in most cases, unless it really is exactly like that object, but with just one small difference, you know, but a lot of times you, you can accomplish better with wrapping. Also, there's a lot of gotchas to inheritance in Ruby um, because uh, Ruby's classes are implemented the way they are. Uh, sometimes they take shortcuts for the sake of speed. So to give an example, if you do um, if you uh, inherit from string uh, and then define an initialize method and then you take some string and call gsub on it, that gsub returns a new string but the initialize method never gets called because of the way Ruby builds that object. So you can't always count on perfect behavior, especially if you're subclassing a Ruby core class or something. So better to delegate. Okay, so that okay, so enough of that sidebar then. <laughs> so then the question is, can we come up with rules uh, of when to use a module? So maybe we can just go around and, and throw out rules. So I'll throw out one that drives me batty. I see it all the time. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can point to the documentation of almost any project and see it. Um, there, a module that people will use classes when, uh, like for example, Rails will say something like, um, if you want to customize how this route works, pass in an object that has a, something method on it and what they'll do is they'll define a class and they'll do def self dot something right and then that's it that's the whole class so there's this class and it has one class method on it uh that's not a class that's a module right no that's an object <laughs> yeah, right yeah exactly uh, i ob i object <laughs> exactly it is an object you're right uh because classes are objects um in root no, no, but look, you'll, you'll never use it to generate an, another instance of anything. It's, ju it's just a singleton object is what you're talking about. Exactly. That's, that was my point. So I was going to say my rule is a class is state 
plus behavior. If you only want the behavior, use a module because that's what a module is. It's minus. Well, and in cases like that, I wouldn't even use a module, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't require a module. Um, I would just like um. Uh, so what would you do? Like object new, and then define a singleton method on it. Well, um, if I had to, yeah, I would. Um, now. You know, you see that that pattern. Actually, I was just reading. There's a name for this pattern in Smalltalk best pa practice patterns. I think it's the, uh, um, well, I forget what. It's it's the uh, the one where basically a class exists um, to uh, to have a a single callable method on it, um, and uh, I can't find the the name right now. Method object. That's the term they use, um, and uh, when I have a situation like that. Uh, unless I really have a good reason not to, uh, I just make that method be called call. And if that method is called call, then uh, then if somebody wants wants to, they can just throw in a, a quick proc. They can just you know throw in a lambda, and um, and it's very very simple for them to use. But then if they if they want to, they can you know create a a module that has a dot call on it, or they can create a class that has a a call method and instantiate it and pass that in. Um, so that's kind of the the universal, um, you know, callable thing. Convention in Ruby is dot call. I like that even better. And I have actually in the past um, created a lambda, and then because I was passing it to something that wanted some other method, I just alias the call method and then passed it. <laughs> right. Nice. 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 So, so you know, without stealing too much thunder from the the book club episode in a couple of weeks, the Wait, method isn't object it next week. Is that next week? Yeah, cool. Okay. So, the, but that that method object pattern is actually one of the richer patterns in the book, I think. And uh, it's not just having a a class with one method. That's that's the starting point for it. I agree. It was one of my favorites, and I took a bunch of notes on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's it's definitely it's more than that. So don't yeah. just like take that away from <laughs> all right. it. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So where were we? <laughs> We were defining rules of the module thing. Oh, and I just want to say one more thing, since this is my, my soapbox I'm on here. Whenever you see documentation like that that says class and it just defines one method and then they just pass in the class object, you can totally ignore that documentation and just build a module and do it the right way and pass that in because they never check to see if it's a class or a module. So you can just pass it in and it'll just work. Just, just do a pull request on the documentation and fix it. <laughs> Even better. Avdi, didn't you talk about that in um, Exceptional Ruby and the uh, like exception method on exception classes? Um, yeah, I mean, wait, uh, in, in, in what context? The, the, the context of this is a class. and the, the only requirement that we have on this thing that we expect to be a class is that it has the exception method. Oh, right, yeah, exactly, that has the exception method. And as a matter of fact, in the context of exceptions, uh, it's explicitly opening things up for you to have that on just random objects because uh, because one of the things Ruby does when you re-raise an exception is it takes the exception that you give it uh, or it takes the, the currently active exception and it just calls dot .exception on it. So, uh, so yeah, that's an example of that um, that pattern. So what other rules can we come up with? Shared behavior. Shared behavior, right? That's the whole mixing case, right? With yeah. Probably the best example being enumerable, right? Yeah. If you have, if you, you know, if you have 
two classes that are legitimately two separate classes, but they also legitimately share some behavior. Um, I think in Ruby, your first choice should be to look at, at factoring them out into a module rather than into some kind of base class and then using that module as a mix-in. Um, but conversely, if you know, if you don't have an, a reason to share that behavior yet, um, you shouldn't necessarily be pulling it out into a module. Okay, um, I, and eventually, you may want to pull that um, into some kind of delegate object rather than a module. But a module is a nice first step. Yeah, I was, so I, I was actually going to – no, go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I have a counter to that. And that's that um, – so, so everybody's reading small type best practice patterns. And you, you keep you, – James, I, I would bet that the first time you, you saw Kent writing about protocols, you were scratching your head. Yes, I had to look it up. Yeah, so in Smalltalk, a protocol is um, a collection of methods within a class that are related by uh, functionality. So, you know, in Active Record, you would have a protocol for persistence and a protocol for validations and a protocol for lifecycle, uh, you, know, you know, maybe a protocol for associations. Uh, and it's starting to sound like Active Model. Well, yeah, somewhat. But the, but the point is that the... You know, building the Smalltalk IDE, people realize, oh, we need some some more abstractions for being able to organize code, and partly that was because they didn't have multiple inheritance and couldn't use other tools to do it. But Ruby, there's multiple inheritance. A, l- a lot of what I see in the use of modules, especially in in Active Record, is that you have related pieces of functionality pulled out into a module. Not only does that make it reusable to some extent, but even in cases where it's not reusable, you have related features all in one file. It's all in one uh, organizational unit. So, right. So, yeah, I, I think Josh just hit on another rule there, which I would basically say is, you know, if you can say all of these methods are about reporting and, the, and they stand alone and they're, they're just the reporting methods, I think it is correct to pull those out into a module and put them in a separate file because you only need to go into that file if you're interested in reporting, right? And I think there's even other advantages that can be gained from that. And this is, again, what I'm kind of getting about is how all this pattern and design relates to Ruby itself. If you do that, if you separate it into a module that's only about reporting, and let's think about it, right? When we're doing queries in like a web application, What's the number one rule? It's got to happen in a microsecond or two, you know, because we need to get this request done and get it back out, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're doing reporting, you usually don't care if the queries are a little slow because some cron job is going to kick in and run them at 2 a.m. in the morning and just send you an email when it's done, right? So, And the traffic on the site at that time won't be too bad. So you usually don't care if your reporting methods are a little slow, right? So if you do this, if you follow the practice and you separate that out, you could choose when to mix that module in and when not to mix that module in. So, for example, when you're doing your normal, uh, you know, just uh, web stuff, don't mix the reporting module in. And then there's no danger that these slow methods are accidentally being used inside of your web app, right? But then when the cron job kicks in and you're doing the task, you go ahead and mix that module in right then because now it's okay. It's, it, we're, we know we're doing the slow stuff and it's okay. Well, one thing so, I want to uh, jump in and point out, and this is something Avdi mentioned was, you know, the, the delegate object. And we've talked a little bit about it, but 
Um, I think we want to be careful because sometimes you want to pull it out and put it in a module and sometimes you want to pull it out and put it in its own object because it actually has state and it has certain responsibilities that have to occur um, that aren't part of the responsibility of the class that you're pulling it out of. So Exactly. So you may want a, record, a reporter type uh, right. object that actually make, might make more sense. Yes, exactly. And, and what you may wind up doing is actually pulling out a, a module that's reportable that basically hooks into the reporter object to do its job. Exactly. So, so then what it is is it's really just a module that manages the delegation to the other object. And what we have there is, is it, we're getting close to the, the, this, the idea of DCI, um, which I've, I've just started um, hearing about lately, um, which I'm sure I'm very late to that party, but uh, – but, it's basically, I mean, the, the core concept of it is um, kind of having different hats that objects can wear. So, a hat, so you have sort of roles that are assignable at at, at runtime, and you divide up your, your functionality between between roles, and you say, okay, this this object is wearing a is is wearing this you know the reportable hat right now, and so it has this functionality. Yeah, I I also got really excited when James was talking about mixing in the module only when you needed it. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Yeah. So, so 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 I've I've the um, the delicate object. And delegate, not delicate. Uh, the delegate mm-hmm. object and um, and mix in that you're that you describe. I, I like that approach. It's um, it's reminiscent of uh, like having a remote web service and then a Ruby library that's an API to that thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, analogy for it. So I, I draw a, a pretty hard line with with this um, div- division of of functionalities um, between using it for libraries and using it for business objects. Um, I, I do agree that it makes sense a lot of times to sort of break this, these different responsibilities up uh, in libraries into different modules. Um, but what I've been starting to see lately is uh, is people taking their, their business objects, you know, like their user class or something in a Rails app and starting to break that out into modules saying, okay, this module has the validations and this module has the, um, the, the methods and this module has like the associations. See, I think that's an example of a bad way to divide. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it's, you know, and, and I think it's in pursuit of smaller classes. I think that's a lot of, a lot of times why it's, how it's justified, but, um, but I think that's like I said, you know, called it earlier. I think that's just sweeping sweeping the the problem under the rug instead of addressing the problem head on, which is you need more, you know, you need to break down into more granular business objects. Um, and and the, you know, and the problem is then you you have two problems because now, um, the, you know, all these things, these validations, associations, that's all part of your business logic. You can't say that oh, this is my business logic. These methods are my business logic, and then these validations are not my business logic because that's it's it's all related and they all have interactions. And to break those across different modules, you're just giving yourself a bigger headache trying to keep track of the interactions because now that stuff is in different files. Plus, also, it fails the conversation with a reader test. And the reason for that is if you're going to try to use that module, then the first thing you need to know is like, okay, I'm going to try to instantiate one of these guys and, or sorry, the model, not the module. uh, I'm going to try to instantiate one of these guys in IRB, so... Um, you know, I need to know what 
things I have to pass in that'll make it pass the validations. Uh, and then I want to call some methods on it. Oh, wait, those are in a different place. You know, so it fails the conversation with the reader test, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. It, it, and that, you know, we can go back to the, you know, having the delegate object uh, as a better way to organize the code in that case. You know, Rails 3, you can do that. You can create a validator class and reuse the functionality of those validations in many different model objects. Yeah. So, so you don't have to pull that out into a module. You can create a, a another class, delegate behavior to it. Works I, great. I'd just like to point out that in a lot of cases, we're talking about things that are the symptom. So, for example, shorter classes or you know some of the other things that are deemed code smells that we're trying to solve. And if you're trying to break this out either into delegate objects or into modules simply for the sake of needing that metric, then you're definitely missing the point. What what these code smells usually are, are their indications of other larger problems. And if you're not addressing the larger problems, and it's the point that James keeps bringing up, where you're talking about communicative code, if your code doesn't reflect what it does, if you can't look at it and figure out what, what it's doing, um, shortening the class just for the sake of having a shorter file doesn't help you. And so you need to, if you're seeing a long class, then definitely go back and look at it. And that's fine because it can be an indication of another problem, but then try and figure out, okay, is this just shared behavior? Are these, um, are these methods, things that I can put into a module, uh, kind of put over off to the side that all have shared functionality that I might use somewhere else? Or is this something that I actually need to create a delegate object for and make sure that you're solving the problem in the right way that communicates what the code's supposed to do? It's all about responsibilities. You know, a long a long class indicates an object with too many responsibilities. Right. There are exceptions to every rule, and and that's the point. I'm glad you said. That. I don't think. <laughs> it, maybe not. Maybe not SRP. But um, there, I, I'm glad Chuck said that though. That there's exceptions to every rule because I, I think that's right. Um, there, I've been watching the Destroy All Software, which Steve Klobnik recommended when he was on the show, and I have been watching those videos. Uh, and they are really good, by the way. Um, but there's one in there where um, Gary goes through and shows, uh, he basically, I think it's called conflicting principles. And he basically makes the argument of saying, you know, if you followed every single rule we've come up with for object-oriented development, you basically have to take your hands off the keyboard because there's nothing you can do, you know. And um, he, he goes through and shows examples where, rules begin to conflict with each other and you know you have to pick sides you know sometimes and decide well what's the more important principle here you know and and kind of uh you know decide which way you're going to go and it's very interesting so i think that's a good point and it is the same way in chess like um i'm a big chess player and yeah you you learn lots of rules you know strategies and stuff that you have to do in chess and and if you followed all the rules all the time, then you'd have to just never move any of the pieces because, you know, at some point you're trading off something for something else, right? And it's the same way when you program. You're, you're trading off, you know, I, I'm trying to make this code communicate better with the reader. I may slow it down in the process, but that's okay. You know? All right. I'm, I'm going to try and do something a little bit different getting ready for the picks. Uh, I'm going to give us a few more minutes to talk, and then we'll go into the picks. So if you have anything else you wanted to add that you've been dying to say, now's the time. Oh, great. Cool. cool. So, so I have a, I have a <coughs> topic about um, uh, how to create modules that are going to be used um, 
as an API or, or an extension of something. One of the things we saw in, in Rails a lot um, for a long time is the acts as whatever pattern. And so, you know, somebody created a plugin to do something and it would inject some behavior into active record base in some way. But the way that you would activate that is you'd call a method, you know, acts as, um, you know, acts as versioned. Mm -hmm. and, and then that would decorate your class somehow with, uh, you know, with some new features. And the, so it's pretty. It's pretty, and as far as I can, it, as far as I can tell, there's really only one thing that that does for you that you can't get just by including the module. Because the module, you can put some code in the in the self dot included module method and have it do whatever you want in there. Mm -hmm. um, but the the one thing that you can't do with that is you can't pass customization parameters. Right. Device does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the uh, Avdi actually mentioned on Twitter recently about uh, Perl's use, and um, I can't remember what the other example you gave was Avdi, but um, that Perl's use is like Ruby's require, only it can take options, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of awesome, really, when you think about it. And I've often found myself wanting that, where I could require a library and pass in a few things to it as I went, uh, which is kind of what Josh is talking about right there when. You call that method. You can also configure how it does what it does. Um, so, so that's that's actually a great little heuristic, though, um, because uh, when you're making the decision, you know, is does this this functionality? I want to factor out some functionality. Does it make sense as a module, as a um, as as a another object that I can use composition with, um, or as like some kind of wrapper, you know, a decorator? object, um, one of the ways to de decide whether it's going to be a module is to ask, does it have any state? And, and I, at least this is a rule that I like to use. You know, if, the, if the answer is it has no state, it's just behavior, then it makes, it makes more sense as a module. If, if the answer is it has state, you know, it needs to be in initialized with some state, then it might make, make more sense as, a, as an object that you compose in or, or as a, uh, an object that you wrap around. And, uh, and that's kind of that, you know, the, the fact that include doesn't take any parameters is kind of um, ringing that bell, reminding you of that heuristic. Mm, interesting. So I did want to say one more thing since Chuck's uh, getting ready to cut us off. Uh, we were talking about our rules to use modules, and I wanted to give uh, two more of when I believe you should do it. And one is um, I, I use modules to limit my black magic. So, like, if I'm going to do something like um, use class new, which is, like, one of my favorite methods to start randomly generating a bunch of classes or whatever, um, I shove that in a module always just to keep scope on how crazy my magic gets, you know? At least if I do it in one module, then only that one module gets bad, right? And, and I can still um, uh, not worry about polluting the main namespace or something like that. Um, or, you know, similar tricks with method missing. If you're going to do some kind of um, really dynamic programming, I think you, you should shove it in a module just to kind of, you know, scope your magic, uh, basically. It's one of the rules I would give for when to use a module. That sounds fair. Yeah. That, no, no, that, that sounds fair. I, I also want to want to add a little bit to that, and that's it. it. You know, if you're building your own application code, namespacing isn't quite as important. But if you're building... Uh, 
code that's meant to be used in other people's applications, whether it's a, a library or a utility of some sort, um, namespace all of your classes and modules and constants. You know, the, you know, there was that wonderful problem with Mongrel years ago about it um, having some, you know, fairly common word as a class name, and it wasn't namespaced, and it just caused people a lot of grief trying to, trying to work at that. So that's just one example. There's been a lot of people who've done that kind of thing. So that you know, one we haven't really talked about this side of modules much, but yeah, if you're building a gem, namespace everything. Yeah, and it's not just to uh, make it hard for somebody to accidentally call what you're trying to to mess with, but it actually makes the blame game a little easier, which makes debugging easier. So it's a good way to go. Well, it, and you you also conflicts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great rule. Josh just hit on another one there. Modules should be used to namespace the stuff that belongs to you. That's true. Uh, but the other one I wanted to use, and this is my uh, my favorite use of modules. So. Um, a module is, in my opinion, the correct way to replace a method. It's not to go into the class and monkey patch it or undef it and replace it or alias it to an old one and then write a new one that calls the old one. That's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to insert a module in Ruby's method lookup order so that it will be called before. Usually the easiest way to do this is to just extend the instance with your module because that's going to put it in the singleton class, which means it's going to be in front of the method. And then uh, you redefine the method in the module and then call super if you need the old behavior. So That's awesome. I, the, the, so I, I like that a lot, and I, I like, I've done things that way. That's a, that's a much cleaner way of doing that. But I want to I put in a little uh, performance advisory uh, which is something that we missed when we were doing the exceptional Ruby episode. Uh, when you do things like that, when you when you include a module or extend a module onto a class, um, that uh, that will flush the caches that the that the Ruby runtime, the virtual machine, uses to make performance happen. So that you know, the, it's a dynamically bound language. It takes a lot of work for Ruby to figure out which method you mean when you send a message to an object. Now, using the Smalltalk terminology there, uh, but it, so so it, it saves doing it saves the result of doing all that work by caching it somewhere. And when you uh, when you do something like include a module or or extend a module onto an instance like that, um, it will f- uh, MRI is pretty um, it, it pretty much carpet bombs the the method cache and well 1.8 yeah 1.8 1.9 is somewhat better about that rubinius and jruby are much better about that in various ways um you know rubinius uh, i think the the cache invalidation is only limited to the names of the selectors that are found within the module and if it's an empty module uh, then it has no effect jruby um is even more specific i think it's only particular ob- objects that it cares about so but in MRI, yeah, it can really mess up your application performance if you do that a lot at, at runtime. So when it flushes the cache, it, it starts building it again after afterward, right? Right. But if you're doing this in, in like an inner loop or something, that would be right. incredibly bad. Yeah. Standard disclaimer, though, for, for any you know, performance optimization advice, profile before you use this advice you know, either to go that route or to avoid that route. 
always yeah. profile. Absolutely, but I, th- I thought it was worth raising a red flag. Yeah, yes. I, th- I think it's important to know it does it, but at the same time, it's still the right way to override a method. I'm like 100% sure of that. And so like, you know, I, I would definitely take that into account, but at the same time, I would always override my methods that way and I would not change unless it was causing me performance problems, you know, that right. I couldn't, couldn't get around. All right. I think we're going to cut it off there. Um, so uh, I just want to, I've learned a ton from you guys. So uh, thanks a lot for that. And we'll get into the picks. Um, let's go ahead and start with Josh this time. Okay. Um, great. So I have, uh, I have a couple picks this week. Um, let's see, speakerdeck.com. So, um, you know, we all love conferences. We all go to a lot of Ruby conferences, right? And even if we don't, we like looking at the slides for the speaker's presentation online. And there have been a couple uh, fairly high-profile sites um, that have been used for this in the past. Um, the, some of them tend to be kind of cluttered. You have to log in and create a, or create an account before you can download the slide deck PDF, things like that. There's a new, um, there's a new player now. It's called speakerdeck.com. And I'm really liking it. I like the visual design of it. I like the interactive features. I like that there's not much clutter. You don't have to create an account or log in to be able to download PDFs. Um, so it, it, it's nice. And we have the, um, we have a, a, the first event up on, on there for Gogoruko. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But um, it, it's nice. It's a, it's a good application. And they, and they just launched uh, Monday of this week. That would be yesterday as we record this. So congratulations to them. And you know, I hope things go well for them. So that's, uh, that's Speaker Deck. Uh, the other one is Greplin, G-R-E-P-L-I-N.com. And this is, this is really cool. Um, they've been around uh, in beta and, and such for, um, I don't know, uh, months now. And they, f- they're, they finally are open to the public and it's, um, it's, it's web search for, th- for your accounts that Google can't get to, to index is the way that I think of it. So, you know, if you have, um, you know, your Twitter account or your Facebook or, uh, even your Gmail, um, Stuff you can hook all those things up to your Greplin account, and then you you go onto Greplin and you type in a search, and it will find you that tweet that you tweeted three months ago that had that in it. That is awesome. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really handy. I, yeah. I had a service like that a couple of years ago, and they basically just decided to get out of that business. Yeah, and I was so like left high and dry. Yeah, so, so Greplin is awesome for that. It's because it, because the Twitter. Uh, the Twitter search only searches stuff. Well, it used to be that they only searched stuff in the cache, and so if it was more than a couple of days old, you just could never find it, and you would have to manually page back through things and remember whose tweet stream it was in, etc. So, Greplin is just awesome for that. That one feature alone makes it worth it for me. <laughs> because the Twitter search blows. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah no yes, kidding. Right. So, and and then I'm going to sneak in a, a quick third pick here. Uh, just because it's so awesome. Um, so uh, I read, uh, I'm a big fan of Werner Vinge, and he, he had this great novel many years ago called A Fire Upon the Deep. Great and, book. And then had a prequel to it called uh, Deepness in the Sky. But there's now a sequel called Children of the Sky 
that uh, is now available for pre-order um, on Amazon, and that it's coming out next month. So very exciting! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm yes, so I know. <laughs> well, well, you know, you're, I, I've been waiting over ten years for this book. So. I know, right? I know. So anyway, so it, it's going to be available soon. So uh, what what genre is that? It's science fiction, space opera, galactic hegemony. You know, whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's great. You had me at space opera. Yeah. All right, uh, James. Okay, so uh, my pick this week is um, Peter Cooper's new um, Ruby One Nine walkthrough video. He sent me a copy of this um, just to kind of check out and give feedback on, and I sat down to watch it, and um, and and it, it really is good stuff. Uh, I gotta recommend that uh, people check it out. So basically, what Peter did is just went through and collected all of the changes uh, between uh, current Ruby 187 and uh, 192 and then a little bit on 193 of what's coming down the pipe. And um, he also sometimes he'll even show a change that technically got backported into 187, but it's just important that you need to know it's different. Um, and this is an epic video. Like, I mean, epic in scale. It um, It's three hours running time. So I don't know about you, but I started having, like, heart palpitations when I look at something that big, you know. And and, uh, and it is. It's, it's, uh, it's not, you know, I wouldn't say it's a light, fluffy, easy watch. You know, you, uh, you go through and pretty much the whole time is dumping data into your brain. So uh, it did take me uh, some time to work through it. And, and you know, it's... Uh, it's definitely a commitment, but I will say uh, the, there's just a massive amount of information in it, and I, I went into it knowing Ruby 1.9 really well. Like, I've studied parts of it probably to an unhealthy degree, like in codings and stuff, um, and uh, I, I, I was surprised by how much I still picked up from P- Peter's video, things I didn't even know were in Ruby. Um, so uh, I, I seriously doubt you could watch this and not learn something about Ruby 1.9. Um, so if you're if you're interested in getting up to speed on uh, you know the future of Ruby, this is probably one stop shopping the easiest way to do it. So go to even it. the deep intelligence of James Edward Gray was not enough. Was challenged. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely recommend watching it. It's good stuff. All right, sounds good. Uh, Abdi, go ahead. All right, so my picks this week um, are going to be obscure Linux stuff um, for the like you know ten people that are that are uh, Linux and Emacs stuff for the ten people that are that are using one of those pl- platforms. Um, and yes, Emacs is a platform, not an editor. Um, <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, it's an operating system. So um, all right, so so one pick is uh, is KDN Live, which is of all the buggy and underpowered uh, video editors on the Linux platform. It is the least buggy and underpowered one that I've been able to find. And I've been more or less able to hammer it into submission at this point. And uh, I even made my first video with with transitions and and zooming last night. So I'm kind of happy about that. And uh, once you get the hang of it, it's actually not that horrible, um, except when it crashes. So... um, 
so KDN Live. Um, and now, now this one is for, for is even more obscure, but it made me so happy that I had to pick it. Um, as some people know, I do like all of my writing, book writing, and talk writing, and stuff like that in Emacs org mode, uh, which is like a uh, kind of a, a an outliner on crack. And um, and and my the the one hole in this chain until recently has been I I really didn't have a good solution for writing for my blog, and I I did a lot of did a lot of hacky stuff, but mostly I just wound up writing it into the the WordPress um, composition window, which isn't that great an experience when you're used to working in a in a decent editor. So um, there is a uh, there's a package somebody put together called Org to Blog, which just lets me post uh, org files straight to WordPress, and it's amazingly well done because it, it lets me adjust the tags and the categories and the post date. And it even this this bit amazed me. It even like if you have images attached to your org file, it actually tra- uploads them in the background and translates them the links into the uh, the live links on the website. Um, and so I'm, I basically have achieved blogging nirvana at this point um, because I never have to leave Emacs. So I'm super super happy about that. And for the one person listening that is using Emacs and org mode and WordPress, uh, hopefully this will make your day. I think David will be happy because I know that he uses those. <laughs> All right. Super. I, I, it sounds handy to me. Now, when are they going to port that to Vim? <laughs> yeah, that's about what I expected. All right. Um, my picks this week, um, I've been teaching my uh, Rails Rookies uh, Rails Basics course, and I found – some software that I wanted to bring up that uh, has really been handy. Now, I have to disclaim that I actually know a lot of the guys over at this company that has built this software. Um, it's called Instructure. They're located here in Salt Lake City. Um, I worked with most of those guys when I was working at Mosey, and uh, their CEO is actually the old CEO of Mosey. But anyway, um, they have a product called Canvas, and they've actually open-sourced it. It's built on Rails 2.3.8, I want to say. And uh, it's it's web-based learning software. Um, I mean, they make their money from going to the, the big universities and stuff and selling to you know thousands of students and making the universities pay them lots and lots of money. But uh, one way that they're trying to get customers in is by open-sourcing the software. And so... Um, small businesses like mine can actually set it up on a, ser- a web server and just use it. And so I've been using it, and it's it's been amazing. It uh, it has a discussion. It's kind of a discussion forum. Um, let's see. I'll just bro- pull it up here. It's got assignments, discussions, grades. You can look and see who's in the course. You can set up. They have a kind of a little wiki that you can put course material into. You can edit the syllabus. You can organize things into modules. Um all kinds of stuff, and, and it's really super easy to use. So if you've ever used Blackboard and you know what a nightmare that is, this is like coming to heaven for your uh, for your education stuff. And uh, I've been embedding all of my videos. This is my other pick uh, through Vimeo. You can set it up so that your videos are pretty much private and can only be embedded on sites that you want it to be, unlike YouTube. I haven't been able to, to, to lock it down like that. Um, you have to pay for it, but their their players a lot nicer, I think, than uh, YouTube's, and uh, it it'll convert to HTML5 if you're hitting it from a mobile device and things like that. So it's it's really really handy that way, 
And uh, I'm also going to be I'm doing weekly webinars as part of the course, and I'm going to be using GoToMeeting for that. Um, I've only ever been an attendee in GoToMeeting, so I'll let you all know how that went next week. But uh, th- those are the products that I'm using for this, and uh, so far it's it's been like flawless. So I just I just thought I'd share uh, some of the things that I'm using there. And if you're looking to set up a course like this and you want to use Canvas, I'm happy to help you out with it. So anyway, um, those are my picks, and uh, that's that's pretty much it for this week. So uh, next week we'll be talking to Kent Beck about uh, small talk best practice patterns. And we'll talk about all the stuff that we didn't talk about in this episode because <laughs> <laughs> we did that a lot. But uh, I want to thank our panel for coming. Um, in no particular order, again, we have Avdi Grimm. Happy hacking. Uh, James Edward Gray. Hey, everybody. See you next week. Uh, Josh Susser. Oh, that's all, folks. And I'm Charles Maxwood. If you have any suggestions for us, uh, go ahead and go to rubyrogues.com and click on uh, choose a topic. Um, we've had some requests to add uh, episode numbers to the, the podcast, so we've done that. Uh, the picks are all on their own page. I think we're missing last week's and this week, so we'll get those in there as well. And um, and by the way, this is episode... What is 22. It? 22? Okay. 22. Yep. And... Um, Anyway, so if you have suggestions like that, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. Um, I have been running the Ruby Rogues Twitter account, so you can leave suggestions there. But I, I know that some of the other panelists have also received suggestions, and you know they let me know or whoever um, know what needs to be done there. So, again, if you have any uh, feedback, go ahead and do that, and leave us a review on iTunes. And that's all. We'll, uh, we'll catch you in a week. Thanks. <laughs>